Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. This is the place where incredible project creators show you how they launch their products online using the world's largest crowdfunding engines, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode 43. And today we have Adamas Baltagavis, who is very special. Um, I've never come across a Facebook ads specialist for crowdfunding. And they're actually hard to find because I generally, whenever I try to bring in Facebook specialists to crowdfunding, a lot of them don't want to touch it because of the short window that crowdfunding campaigns run for. They generally want to bring in customers for three, four, five, six months just to see a return on the investment. But where I came across Adamus's work is in my inbox one day, there was a podcast. And on that podcast, Adamas had gone through in case study format how he helped live switch auto- automatic watches which is a company that raised over 1.1 million dollars on kickstarter he helped them with a killer facebook ad strategy to help them have a really strong fresh out of the gate when they launched the campaign they were they hit their forty thousand dollar funding goal in 34 minutes and they are the most funded timepiece of all time on kickstarter and it's a really cool project and what floored me was how well he was able to build their email list of more than 5,000 people for this pre-launch in under two weeks. So Adamas, I'm really excited to have you on the show today and to hear about how you got into Facebook advertising and most importantly, what you did with Live to have those results. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So because you and I, this is our first conversation, I'd love to find out more about how you got into Facebook advertising? Okay, so I I guess it actually began about three years ago, um, and I was still studying at university when I started managing some Facebook pages. Um, But I soon realized that Facebook page management isn't very specific or as specific as I wanted it to be. And I slowly moved to the advertising part because it was much more direct. You could see the results immediately. Everything was numbers-based, and it was just much more interesting for me. So for those three years, um, I've been specializing in Facebook advertising, um, helping companies with lead generation campaigns um, and getting more sales to them. Okay. And when you, like, how did you get involved with Live to begin with? Well, it was interesting because um, I have my own website where I blog about social media, Facebook advertising, and I also organize these coaching sessions. So they first approached me for a coaching session. Uh, we had a nice conversation. I started helping them with their e-commerce start because they already had one watch that they were selling. And then uh, they asked me to help them with the Kickstarter campaign, which was um, approaching in the next few months. Okay. And at what point did they bring you into the campaign? Um, I think it was. Uh, I think it was about two months before uh, the campaign started. Um, or about six weeks uh, before the campaign started. Um, so uh, we started working on the pre-launch campaign, uh, trying to figure out what is the plan, the best plan to get as many people as we can on our pre- pre-launch list. Um, and then, you know, what would be the strategy with Facebook ads during that campaign? Okay. And my concern with Facebook advertising early on is that 
with crowdfunding you have or even any product launch you have two points that you do advertising and your strategy will switch the first is what you do with paid ads before you launch and what Mm -hmm. you do after you launch and my concern is always in the pre-launch part because what what you want people to do is buy when you launch and within the first couple of days but when you're spending money on advertisements in the pre-launch you're not asking them to buy anything so it's hard to get that ROI I thought and I would love to know how you structure the pre-launch so that you still get an ROI and what the whole psychology of of that is Mm -hmm. Um, so yes uh, the pre-launch campaign is a little bit scary because you never know if those people who sign up will actually become customers Um, but that's why we invested quite a lot into building that email list and even more importantly um, using email campaigns to build a relationship with them. Um, so we started about we started the pre-launch campaign on Facebook about two weeks before our launch, and we invested heavily into Facebook advertising to bring. Um, I think we brought about more than five thousand leads in about ten days. Wow! And okay. so um, we knew that the the Kickstarter product that we were selling, a Swiss automatic watch, was um, was priced at about four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And we knew that it will not be very easy to sell it directly to people who have never heard about Lyft watches before. And, you know, people don't generally just sit on Facebook waiting to buy something that is as expensive as this. Um, So we decided to build that email list, use email campaigns to build a relationship with the audience. Um, And then we had uh, what really helped us was the autoresponding campaign that we had. And it was uh, being sent to any uh, new person that signed up. Um, just telling them more about the company, about the struggles that the founders went through, um, you know, why this product came into life and how it, it uh, was developed. And I think because we used a very personal approach with those emails, um, uh, using a lot of storytelling and uh, just showing the more personal side of the company too, I think that made uh, a huge difference when it came uh, to the launch. Yeah. And going into the beginning of the funnel before someone is even on your email list to get this automatic sequence, what are you offering them? Like, what is the bait to get them to sign up for the email list? Um, So we were considering to give out a free watch um, at the beginning, but we knew that... um, Usually, if you are giving something away for free, you're attracting the wrong audience. So I heard this from my friends who also had uh, their own Kickstarter campaigns, and they tried giving away you know, some watches, but you could quickly see that a lot of people are signing up just to get something for free. So they want, it's very unlikely that they would become customers. So in this case, we just decided to offer um, you know, the exclusive access to our Kickstarter uh, campaign, and the early bird rewards. So essentially we said, if you join us on this, if you sign up, you will be the first one to hear about uh, our launch. And you will be the first one to get, you know, to access the Kickstarter campaign once we launch. Um, and you will get the best price of the watch that we could, that you could ever get. Okay. And you do that by how you structure your reward packages Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So we had uh, we had about a hundred watches that were at a super early bird um, price, and it was um, probably at about 
probably 45% or even more off from the retail price that will be that we will have in the future. And so, you know, if someone was really eager to buy it at the very beginning at the best price, then uh, they were, um, for that reason, they would sign up. Okay. No, that's really good. And when you set up a Facebook campaign, um, how many variants would you do? Because I know the little I know about Facebook advertising, I know that you don't just stick up one image and hope that that converts. Um, <laughs> yes. You do need different variations. So can you walk me through the process of how you um, set up the campaign? Because there is a testing period before you go full scale on spending a ton of money on this stuff. So how do you test to see what um, like photos are going to convert and, and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. So uh, this pre-launch campaign was quite, um, quite a big one because... Um, as you said, we had different image variations, different text variations. Uh, we were also testing out a, a number of different audiences to see which ones are commanding best. And also we ran the campaigns in seven different regions or countries. So from the very top, um, we, we knew that with Facebook advertising, we must separate the target audience by countries or at least by some regions because otherwise Facebook would push most of the budgets to the cheapest country. So, you know, if you selected the U.S. and the Philippines, as an example, it's very likely that 90% of the money will flow into, or 99% of the money will flow into, into the Philippines. And so we had seven campaigns for these different countries or regions. Then within each campaign, we had 10 ad sets. So the ad, ad groups, um, and we were testing out five different audiences um, that we defined by interests like Kickstarter and some high-end watches, watch brands, and some low-end watch brands. Um, and they were split on two placements. So we had some assets that were running exclusively on mobile devices. And then we also had some that were running exclusively on desktop newsfeed. And now within each ad set, we actually had um, six ad variations. And it was because we had three different images that we wanted to test out. And we had two um, ad copy variations. So now in total, that makes uh, 420 ads that we had for the pre-launch campaign. And... You know, it goes up, the number of ads goes up very, very quickly. So we tried to keep it at the bare minimum. Um, but still, we had that many ads. That is just crazy. Um, I have friends who do paid ads for like, different things. And you walk into their office and all they have on their walls are just maps of their variations and how to set up the like the strategy behind the, the ads. Mm-hmm. Does your office look like that? Uh, well, as I work as a freelancer, uh, it's I don't have a, an office like this, but I have it in in my mind. Wow, that just boggles me. That's that's amazing. And what I'm curious too is, um, so once you set up, okay, we're going to test with all of these different variations and regions. How do you? figure out what the like what is the brainstorming process behind which regions you want to test and which audiences you want to test well with regions or countries we went um by the most i guess by the biggest and more most not expensive countries but 
those countries that have the strongest purchasing power. Um, so we knew that we wanted to, to reach people in the U.S., in Canada, U.K., Australia, um, New Zealand as well, some Western Euro- European countries, Southeast Asian countries. Um, so, you know, the entire process with the pre-launch campaign was um, first finding out which ads are working the, uh, better than the others so that we could uh, just keep one or two ads within each ad set or campaign and push the money uh, the entire money into them, and actually, very quickly, we can uh, we could see uh, which audiences are working better. Um, how are they? How are they clicking on the ads? How many of them are signing up? What is that cost per leads that we are getting? And then we can do more optimization um, by looking at the ad reports. So we would switch the worst audiences. We would switch off the worst ads. Um, and then just put um, the remaining budget into the best ones. Okay. And how long did you test like before you actually went live with this pre-launch? Um, well, as soon as we, we started running the Facebook ads um, about two weeks, I think it was exactly two weeks before the launch. Um, so we didn't have too much time to optimize the campaigns. And we had... Uh, we pause the campaigns four days before the launch so that we have enough time to send out those autoresponding campaigns. And so a lot of the optimization happens after the first day or after the first two days, um, and we start switching off those ads or some audiences. And then after another one, two days, we look at, you know, at, the, at the campaigns again to see uh, if there's anything else that can be optimized. Um, and then for the remaining five, days or so, we would uh, spend uh, the remaining budget. Okay. And speaking of budget, how do you figure out which portion to allocate to out of, if we're saying doing, um, your client has a $10,000 ad spend budget, how much of that do you decide needs to be allocated for testing versus actually rolling this thing out? Um, so it's, it's very difficult to predict because um, the advertising cost will be very, very different in different countries. Um, so if we were getting leads, for example, at maybe $2.5 in, in the U.S., it might be as little as 50 or $0.70 cents in somewhere in Southeast Asia. Um, so we started off with an equal daily budget for each ad set. Um, I think it was $10 a day for... Uh, every for each ad set and then we would just reallocate the budget from those audiences that we paused into those that are working um, after we see that we get enough uh, you know enough data and enough uh, results uh, to val- to evaluate the campaign and I guess too at the point where you can really see that if you spend this much you're getting this much of an ROI so, at, you know, there's a point when your customers, you can see proof that whatever you're spending is making, it's a good investment. So it's easier to up that ad spend once you actually see proof that it's, it's converting. Uh, well, yes. So although we couldn't, um, you know, the end goal is still to get people to buy the watch. So um, we wouldn't be able to tell that until the actual launch. But even at the beginning, so um, we, we were very happy with the response to our ads because the click-through rates on the ads were very high and a very high percentage of people signed up for the updates from all the different audiences that, that we were actually testing out. 
Um, and even, I think we, what we agreed with uh, LiftWatches is that it's not just a one-off investment because they will be using uh, Kickstarter platform in the future. Um, they will be introducing many more, uh, many more watches in the future too. So um, by building the list, by investing into acquiring these leads, they're actually investing into their future business um, because um, a, a portion of these people will eventually become customers. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. So now that we've covered the pre-launch, the strategy changes when you go live. So mm-hmm. I'd love to spend a few minutes talking about that. Now, when so when you go live, it means that somebody can now buy live watches. Um, so how does your strategy look when someone can actually buy versus before? Uh, yes. So the biggest change was that uh, for pre-launch, we would send people to a landing page on our website, on livewatches.com, where people can... Um, you know, there's some information about the watch. They can enter their email address and sign up. And when the actual campaign begins, we have to send people directly to the Kickstarter page. Um, and so we would create some new ads um, that were specifically uh, designed to send people to our Kickstarter page. And then we were testing out many new audiences, again, uh, in all of the different countries. Um, but this time, the goal was to see which of those audiences are not just clicking on the ads, but um, are immediately purchasing the watch. Okay. Do you need tracking tools you can recommend for tracking those between um, purchasing versus clicking on a link? Um, so that was one of the most challenging uh, things about the Kickstarter, uh, about their platform, because uh, they only allow us to add the Google Analytics code. And so we can evaluate the results in Google Analytics. But for that, we need to use the, uh, the so-called UTM parameters. So now, whenever we are advertising something on Facebook, uh, we would attach, attach these unique parameters to our links that would help us identify where the traffic is coming from. And then we would look into Google Analytics, um, trying to figure out which of those uh, links which of these audiences are driving uh, sales. So that is more complicated because on Indiegogo, on Indiegogo um, just to give an example, you can add um, the so-called Facebook conversion pixels, and they allow you to see, even within the Facebook ad reports, um, which audiences are actually um, converting. So Indiegogo... Uh, for the tracking perspective, is much more, uh, much easier to use, and it gives you much more data about which audiences, which ads, uh, which campaigns are converting. Um, and with Kickstarter, it's it's a little bit more messy. Yeah, that's not the only thing that's a big difference between Indiegogo and Kickstarter, but that's another conversation. <laughs> okay. As well, like I've heard. Um, do you have any opinion on? I've heard that Kickstarter will convert a lot higher than Indiegogo when it comes to Facebook advertising. Is that true? Uh, I don't know. Um, Maybe it can be... um, It's very difficult to tell. I think it depends on many things. Um, You know, different audiences will convert better, and then the product itself has a um, a lot of impact on conversion rates. But it would be interesting to see if anyone had, um, you know, real experience with promoting maybe even the same products on both pages. 
and what was the conversion rate for them? Yeah, so it might just depend or vary based on per campaign. I, I think so. Yeah, okay. And one thing, I know the answer to this, but for the audience that's very new to Facebook advertising, in your pre-launch, you sent people to a landing page to give an email address. Can I ask why when you're launched, your strategy is to send them directly to the Kickstarter page versus to a landing page and then redirecting to Kickstarter? Um, yeah, so some people are using the redirection. Um, they send it to their to their landing page, and in a couple of seconds, they would redirect them to the Kickstarter page. But in mo- in this case, with the redirection, you would lo- you would lose the UTM parameters, or you would have to set up very elaborate redirection almost rules, so that every single link has a different, or how how to put it better, um, so that every link that we are using redirects to a different. Uh, with different UTM parameters on the Kickstarter. I don't know if that was clear enough. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's just not only does it make your life really difficult when it comes to click Facebook ad, go to landing page, and then redirect to Kickstarter, but Mm -hmm. it could also mess with your, your sales conversions because your landing page is not set up to convert as well as a Kickstarter page. Yes, and so for us, the biggest, the biggest reason why we were sending traffic directly to the Kickstarter page was because it was easier to use those UTM parameters. Um, so they, they were the only way for us to figure out which audiences or which ads on Facebook um, are converting. And so if we wanted to use that, um, it was much easier to send directly to the Kickstarter page. Um, and... You know, with that information, we can then optimize the Facebook ad campaigns. We can see exactly how many clicks, visits we are getting. And uh, within the e-commerce data, we can see how many sales we got as well. Okay. And going into the actual creatives or images that you used during launch period, what sort of images would you say converted the highest for your specific campaign? Um, so if you looked at the Kickstarter page uh, for the live, for this particular live watch, um, it is a very striking uh, watch. And if you see it on a, you know, in your news feed, it really draws your attention. Um, so we used the one that we have on the Kickstarter page and now on Indigo as well um, as our main one. We tested a few other ones, but we found out that this one, this particular image was working the best. So... I don't think there is any rule, you know, when it comes to images because um, some companies, if you look at other Kickstarter projects, they will be using these uh, lifestyle shots. Um, So it might be a lifestyle shot of a person, you know, wearing something or carrying something. Um, But in our case, it was just a very plain uh, image with a black background and with uh, the watch just in the middle of it. And because you were doing a direct, your call to action was basically check us out on Kickstarter, what sort of wording did you use on the ad to get people to click through? Um, I think we used, I think we used a few different um, ad copies. So for the text, I know for the pre-launch campaign, um, we said, are you looking for a kick-ass Swiss Automatic? Check this out. 
part was um, probably, I believe the headline was Soon on Kickstarter, uh, Lifts with Automatic Watch. Um, and I think for texts, it helps to have some kind of um, attention grabber or we usually use some questions to pre-qualify those people who see our ads. So imagine if you're looking for something related to Facebook advertising, we might start with, are you advertising on Facebook? Discover the five tips on how to make your Facebook ads more effective. So in the same way uh, with Lift Watches, uh, we had uh, looking for a Swiss automatic watch, uh, discover the new Genesis X1A on Kickstarter. Okay, that's awesome. And I guess um, a couple of my last questions here is your, so your original campaign lasted for how many days? Um, it was 30 days. 30 days, okay. Did your copy or your messaging change from the first week of launching on Kickstarter versus the last week? And how did you, how did those changes happen? Uh, yes. So uh, especially at the very end of the project, um, we changed the ad copy and we created some new ads um, to reflect, you know, the development of the project. So we actually passed $1 million in pledges. I think it was two or three days before the end of the campaign. And so uh, we added one sentence saying that this is the most funded timepiece uh, in crowdfunding history ever. Um, I believe we also mentioned that it's, uh, we've already done 1.1 million uh, or 1 million raised. And when we had two days left, um, we added 48 hours left, you know, to claim, to get yours or to reserve yours Swiss automatic watch. And finally, I think it was uh, when we had 24 hours left or 12 hours left, we also pushed with final chance to reserve yours, uh, your Swiss automatic watch. Yeah, so you're playing on a lot of psychological triggers there. Um, yes. Or sorry, just one, like ending soon, don't miss out. Mm -hmm. Ending soon, don't miss out. Um, I think we mentioned the number of backers, just add that social proof. Um, the number, the amount uh, raised is also, I would say, a um, part of social proof, part of authority. And, you know, example that we, it's a, it's a legit project. And when you combine those with the looming deadline that is approaching, um, I think more people are just, they cannot resist and more of them are clicking on the ad. Yeah. And it's important to note too, that with any updates you're sending backers or any emails that you can use the exact same things that Adamas is, is talking about just to get your, your backers to upgrade or share the campaign or, or get more people in on it. And using this together is how usually in the last day or last day, that should be one of your largest sales days if done properly. Mm -hmm. I, so I, I think, um, I don't know if you know, what is it? Smart North. They're a, um, the Kickstarter campaign that just finished uh, smart parka raise for 3.3 million. And, they in their last day after ramping everything up had a six hundred thousand dollar sales day. Wow! By using some of these strategies, that's incredible. Which was their biggest day ever, so it really does work. Um, that's fantastic. And um, Adamas, now that you've been in the Facebook ads business for three years and you've had some pretty stellar results, do you have any 
I guess one piece of feedback you can give for anyone first starting out with managing their own Facebook ads? Uh, just one? Maybe two. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say the targeting is actually the most crucial part in Facebook advertising. So in most cases, uh, we are using the audience insights tool to figure out which audiences we should be selecting. And a lot of advertisers make the mistake of selecting very broad interests, um, you know, like running, cooking, food, nature, traveling, and so on. But because Facebook attaches these interests very, very broadly, there might be millions and millions of people in that audience. And instead, we are trying to go with very specific, very super specific audiences that might have just 50,000 people or 100,000 people in it. But we know that if we are reaching those uh, those super narrow audiences will have much more chances to reach relevant people. And the more relevant the people that we reach, the more rele relevant the offer is, and the better the ad design or creative is, then uh, the better the campaign results will be. Awesome. All right, I'll give you one more. Do you have anything else? Okay, so I guess another thing um, that a lot of beginner Facebook advertisers make um, is not knowing how Facebook does the optimization for them. So um, if you select multiple placements or ad placements, like running the ads on both uh, desktop newsfeed, mobile newsfeed, on the sidebar, even Instagram, if you select multiple placements, Facebook will try to optimize it for you to get the cheapest results. And so very often, Facebook will push uh, most of the money and most of the budget to just one placement. And because of this automatic optimization, the same will happen with genders, the same will happen with countries, and even with interests if you are selecting multiple, uh, multiple ones. So when, uh, when I see this, I always advise people to, to try to split them up in different campaigns or ad sets and not to combine those, um, those variables together. So then... You know, you will be able if you after you split them, you will be able to spend an equal amount on each of those variables, and you can clearly see which audiences are converting better, which countries are converting better, uh, which placements are working better as well, and then you can optimize the campaign by that. Wise words. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, if anyone wants to find out more about you, and I understand you have a free guide available for download. Uh, yes, I have. So after this campaign, I created a very long and extensive checklist, uh, the ultimate crowdfunding pre-launch checklist. So it's seven pages of everything that we use for, uh, for the landing page, Google Analytics, Facebook ads, email campaigns, and so on. Um, and so if anyone wants to download this checklist, they can go to my website, adamasbaltagelis.com slash crowdfunding and cut, and they will access that checklist. Oh, we get a special URL. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> of course. No, that's great. And uh, I will be sure to put that in the show notes because you, like me, have a very hard to spell name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But uh, no, it's, it's great. So thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thanks. Thanks again for having me.
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Be sure to head over to crowdfundinguncut.com where you can uh, sign up for some freebies. We have the Ultimate Crowdfunding Video Hacks Blueprint right now, which is going to help you create a video that converts when you're preparing for your campaign. And also join our free private Facebook group, Crowdfunding Domination, where you can connect with other like-minded project creators. And unlike the other Facebook groups, it's spam-free. So head over there just by searching Facebook. Our next guest next Tuesday is Pat Flynn. If you don't know him, Smart Passive Income. It's one of my favorite podcast interviews. So we'll be speaking on the concept of product validation and how to create a product that people need and are willing to pay money for, which is kind of a prerequisite for crowdfunding. So thank you, love you, and appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.